Pounders, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. They come from all corners of the world, and they descend on towns everywhere. Burlington, North Carolina, Idaho Falls, Idaho, Lexington, Kentucky, Wilmington, Delaware, Springdale, Arkansas, Papillion, Nebraska, and Kansas City, Missouri. What do all these men have in common? They work together to win. It's time to talk to another Royal on Clubhouse Conversation. It is Friday the 13th, so try to avoid ladders and black cats today. It's Davo, and I'm glad you're along for another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. And today we are joined by a guy who is really starting to put himself squarely on the Royals' radar for a big league starting rotation slot, and that man is Brooks Pounders. Who's off to a great start with Omaha? Three and one, a three four one ERA in the Storm Chasers rotation. Love the strikeouts. I'm a strikeout guy. Thirty seven Ks in thirty one and two thirds innings pitch for Brooks Pounders. You might say well, that's a cool name. Well, it is a cool name. He's an even cooler guy and an even greater pitcher than that, right? But Brooks Pounders, speaking of his cool name, won the Moniker Madness Award, which you know is cool. But we want to talk more about his uh, you know success on the field. Moniker Madness meaning the coolest name in minor league baseball. Baseball. Won that a couple years ago. Speaking of a couple years ago, back in 2013, he threw a Northwest Arkansas's first ever no-hitter. So a guy that kind of first put himself on the radar with a no-hitter back in 2013 has had some bad injury luck, though, since then. Tommy John surgery, uh, torn quad. So we'll talk about the injury, bad luck. Brooks Pounders originally drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Pirates. We'll talk about the Pirates the days and you know coming over to the Royals, coming up through the system. All that and so much more as Brooks is kind enough to join us from Omaha here on a day where he's not pitching on Clubhouse Conversation. Brooks, first of all, thank you uh, for the time. And second of all, how's everything going with you? It's going good. Uh, time here in Omaha has been fun. Uh, a little uh, windy, but... I mean, what can you ask for? It's uh, April and May, right? Yeah, you you got a nice park there, man. Uh, Werner Park, I've always really enjoyed going to that. I'm sure you've heard the old school days, how they'd go on like the 21-game road trips during the CWS at Rosenblatt. So probably you feel pretty fortunate to play there, right? Yeah, that's nice. Uh, we actually do have a long, we have like a 12 to 15-game road trip in uh, June this year. So, um, But, um, yeah, the park's awesome. It's a great place to play. Um, fan base is pretty good and uh being close to Kansas City always helps. How'd you like that sweet uh, moose bobblehead they gave out with the moose ha- antlers on it the other day down there? I didn't really get to see it. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, actually pitching the day that they gave it out, so I didn't really get a chance to check it out. But uh, I think they have some of them for us, but uh, I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, you have to snag one of those and uh, and get one of those. So, I mean, you're, you're at AAA now, so the highest level of the minor leagues, obviously. Are you starting to recognize some of the hitters now as like, man, I've seen this guy on TV before. Yeah, I know that guy. I mean, I know you're not in awe of them or anything, but, I mean, are you starting to recognize some of these guys? Is that kind of a cool thing? Yeah, you start seeing names that you've seen on TV and then obviously names that you've came up playing against that have gotten to the AAA level as well. So um, teammates that you play with know, know the other veteran guys pretty well and, having Tony Cruz catching and Parker Morin catching that it's somebody Parker that came up with and Tony that has been behind Yachty for uh, five to seven years. Uh, it's definitely good to lean on those guys for information about these hitters. Yeah, what a fun team you guys have down there. You guys are, are really loaded down there on that Omaha team. I mean, you mentioned a couple of guys right there that are that are awesome guys. And how about Brett Eibner last night, man? Three home runs? 
Yeah, that was an unbelievable game from Brett. Everybody played well last night. It was a great team win. Um, offense really put up a lot of runs, and pitching held uh, held Memphis to a minimum last night, which is uh, good to see. And up and down the whole lineup, I mean, you've got Jorge Bonifacio's Rakin, which is great to see, and Whit Merrifield continues to, to hit really well. So, you know, what an exciting team to be a part of, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun clubhouse to be in. Um, the team's obviously great as far as player-wise that we have. Um, clubhouse is nice. Uh, veteran guys keep it light and fun to be around, and it's a, it's a good, uh, good atmosphere. Well, I know a lot of people up here in Kansas City, uh, you know, fan-wise and baseball geeks are, are really, they've always kind of had their eyes on you for a while since the no-hitter. But, I mean, especially, you know, this year, the numbers are continue to be great. Knock on wood, God willing, you stay healthy as well. And, uh, you know, but a lot of people see the numbers, they know your name, but they don't know all the, the scouting reports. So kind of give us a, a scouting report as far as which pitches you throw and then where you sit at and top at. Uh, I throw two-seam and four-seam fastball, both uh Two seam is going to be a little slower, obviously, so it'll be anywhere from 88 to 90 with that. Four seam will be anywhere from 90 to 94, 95 on a good day. Um, sit around 92. Um, I throw a change up, straight change, circle change, and then a curveball and a slider as well. Wow, you've got a big old repertoire then. Yeah, five pitches. Do you use them all Two every night? Balls, so. I mean, are there some nights you, you ditch one of them pretty quick? You know, after your bullpen, you say, I'm not going to use that, or do you legitimately use them all every night? Um, there's always going to be a situation where you need to use all four pitches. Um, I know a lot of guys that have three pitches get away with three pitches, but for me, I've always been somebody that's comfortable throwing all four. So no matter what it does in warmups, uh, I always have confidence in going back to it in the game. Okay, and it's I mean it's working, man. So you've got 37 strikeouts so far in uh, 31 and two thirds. What enables you to miss so many bats? Do you do you have a put away pitch? What you know? How do you strike guys out? What's your what's your kind of recipe go to there? Um. I mean, I'm a guy that goes through, tries to go through the first time through the lineup with, like, fastball changeup, just show him a couple pitches, and then that way later in the game when I go see him two and three and four times, I have other options to use towards him. But um, I like to say second, third time through the lineup, I like to kind of pitch a little backwards to some guys and use my fastball late in the count, just kind of get them looking soft and then give them something hard at the end. But uh, slider and curveball are always good pitches, put-away pitches for me. Now, you were a non-roster invitee to big league camp, so that was pretty big for you uh, this past spring. That's a pretty big honor. So, you know, what was it like being in big league camp? Um, I mean, coming to big league camp as a non-roster invite after winning a World Series is pretty special. Um, Just special for me in general, coming off of two major injuries, some that I was thinking I would never get back to where I was and to see the velocity and mechanics and stuff come back the way that it did and seeing the Royals have faith in me um, was really a big honor. Um, it was a great, great experience for me to be around the veteran guys in the clubhouse and get to kind of put my face out there for Ned and Dave and the coaching staff. Is it one of those things with rookies where you always hear like, oh, they just kind of keep their mouths shut and soak it all in and ask a few questions if they can, but is that kind of how it is, though? I mean, you're in there and you're kind of in awe. You're like, man, I want to soak this all up every second, right? Yeah, the first the first week is kind of like that. You don't want to really step on any toes or do anything, but everybody in that clubhouse is pretty light. I mean, that's a it's an awesome clubhouse to be a part of. Everybody welcomes you with opening arms, and you can kind of ask as many questions as you really want. 
Yeah. Well, I, I'm about two years late to the party on this next thing, but you were the winner of the 2014 Moniker Madness, which for those who don't know means you had the best name uh, in the minor leagues. You know, what was it like beating out, you know, Matt Batts, Joey Pancake, Nick Nowotnik? You know, that had to have been a semi-honor, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> just one of those things where I got voted the best name. I mean, you don't really get anything for it other than a pat on the back and a tweet from minor league baseball about it, but... uh <laughs> Other than that, it's just kind of one of those things. It's a pretty cool honor to have the best name in baseball. Yeah, I mean, there was a guy named Rock Shoulders in the past, Sicknarf Loopstock. You, you have to wonder if these things are even real, some of these guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, really? So, yeah, that's pretty cool there. Well, you know, we're going to come back and talk about 2016 uh, a bit later, but uh, I kind of want to go back to your childhood then and learn more about you. So uh, where at in California did you grow up exactly, and where was that near? I grew up in Riverside, California, okay. Okay. so it's in between, basically directly in between San Diego and Los Angeles. Okay. Um, grew up there, lived there for 15 years of my life, and then we moved to Temecula, which is further south towards uh, San Diego, so um, that's where I currently live now. Um, it's a little suburb, kind of about 20 minutes inland from the beach, and it's a, it's a great place to live. Now, who was your team growing up? Was it Angels, Dodgers, Padres? Uh, well, I kind of had to be adopted Padres fans. Right. My dad played for them. Right. Um, but I always grew up going to Angels games because my dad and Troy Percival were college teammates, and he was a closer for the Angels, so we'd always go and end up watching them. Okay. Percival was good for a while, man. Good five, six stretch. He's one of the best in baseball. Um, yeah. You mentioned your dad. Yeah, your dad, Brad. So he pitched uh, at UC Riverside, which makes sense when you mentioned Riverside. So he pitched there and then five years in the Padres organization. So, you know, what did you – I'm assuming he was the one that you really learned the majority and, and got the most of growing up as far as baseball coaching and all that good stuff? Yeah, he was actually a hitter. He's the first baseman. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So um, we had a – we had a uh, – him and another guy that grew up being best friends, and he was actually a pitcher at UC Riverside. So I got all my pitching information from him, but all my hitting information came from my dad. So he was always, those two were always our little league coaches and then pony ball coaches. And then once we got to high school, they kind of stepped back and let us do our own thing. But yeah, definitely my dad, somebody that I definitely lean on as far as baseball information at all times. Yeah, and you went to Temecula Valley High School, like you mentioned there. So you were nine and two uh, as a senior, one nine six, ninety one Ks, and sixty four and a third. Now, I guess thinking back, so at what point? I always wonder, at what point of your high school career then did you kind of think to yourself, "Man, I actually might get drafted before I go to college." Was there a certain like point, a certain year, a certain moment when you knew it might happen? Um, I always heard things from kind of like uh, summer ball coaches and that kind of stuff, and having in home visits with the uh, major league clubs and that kind of thing. But um, it didn't really set in for me after until during my senior year in the summer leading into my senior year when I'd go play summer ball and have a chance to travel and kind of showcase myself to these teams. But um, I've obviously never thought it was going to be as high as it was or have the opportunity to sign before college. I was always somebody that wanted to go to college and have that experience. But when the uh, Pirates called and the second round it was something that i a childhood dream came true and something that i wanted to grasp and take a hold of as soon as possible yeah absolutely where were you committed to play college ball at then i was going to the university of southern california wow nice sc 
Love it. Okay, so so you mentioned uh, the Pirates took you second round in 2009. The moment you got the call, the moment you got the news, where were you at and what was that like? We were actually live streaming it from the computer oh, cool. onto the TV at home, and our computer was like five picks late somehow. <laughs> so my phone started blowing up and all this kind of stuff before I actually even heard my name call. <laughs> my agent called me and said, I love the Pirates. And then I was kind of asking him what in the heck is he talking about because <laughs> our computer was delayed but uh about two minutes later the pick rolled around and i heard it and it was kind of a surreal moment it was one of those childhood dreams that you always wanted to come true and finally did yeah was pittsburgh kind of a team that you thought would take you were you surprised by them or did you know they kind of had interest in you uh no i was actually really surprised it was kind of one of the only teams that we really didn't have much of a much of contact with i met with the guy one area scout one time and that was it um, Interesting. So yeah, it was kind of a surprise to me that Pittsburgh was the ultimate, ultimately the team that selected me. Did the Royals catch you at all in high school? What was that? Did the Royals catch you at all in high school? Yeah, we had a couple of scouts from the Royals in my area. Um, there's a couple of guys that were always in contact with me, but never really heard much from them. Hmm. All right, so you signed with Pittsburgh then. So 2009 in the Gulf Coast League, 2010 New York Penn League, and then the Sally League in 2011. So w- when you look back to your three seasons with the Pirates, you know what are your favorite memories of those three summers? Just kind of getting acclimated to Pro Bowl. Um, it was one of those things that was you needed to get acclimated quick. Um, obviously, signing immediately after the draft, uh, it's something that you got to just kind of go in with an uh, open mind and grasp everything that you can, trying to learn the ways of life of Pro Bowl. And, um, yeah, just ultimately getting yourself ready every year in the off season and figuring out ways to do that and what, what ways work best for you and doing all those uh, sorts of things that you need to do to get yourself ready. Now, who are some of the guys that, uh, you, know, that you played with during those three seasons that are now in, in the big leagues for the Pirates? Anybody? Yeah, my Gulf Coast League team had a lot of guys. Um, Starling Marte. Wow. Uh, Gregory Polanco. I played with Garrett Cole in low A. And then, obviously, Jamison Tyon, who's coming up through their system. Yeah. Um, got a chance to play with uh, uh, Harrison for a little bit. Yeah, second base. On a rehab stint. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they got to, that's a nice team, man. It's a fun team. Marte and like you said, Polanco in the three four spot in that order with McCutcheon. What a what a lineup, right? Yeah, it's a it's a great team. Yeah, they're fun, they're fun to watch. Um, okay, so let, so then let's go back to the fateful day then, December seventh, two thousand eleven. So that's when the Royals uh, traded for you and an infielder named Diego Gores for Yamiko Navarro. Then, so so where were you at when you got the news that the Royals had acquired you? I mean, were you was was this totally out of left field? Were you shocked? What was that like? Yeah, it was a surreal experience. I was actually in Pittsburgh or in uh, Bradenton, Florida, our uh, facility down there with Pittsburgh for a for a uh, mini camp for the winter. And when I got the call, it was during the winter meetings. So um, our minor league coordinator for Pittsburgh called me and told me I'd been traded and that somebody uh, from Kansas City would be calling me. So, yeah, it was definitely a surreal experience, something out of left field that uh, it's an experience you can't really put into words. Yeah. Being traded that young into your career. Um, 
obviously it turned out the best for me, but um, having gone through that, it <clears throat> it makes a it makes you a stronger person, I think. Kind of wrapping your head around the fact that it wasn't that the Pirates didn't want you; it's that the Royals did want you. Huh? Yeah. Well, did you? I mean, obviously, you hadn't faced any of the Royals affiliates at that time because the Royals weren't yet in the Sally League at that point. So, I mean, you know, what did you know about the Kansas City Royals? Anything at that point, really? Not too much. I mean, uh, I lived in Houston with Jameson Tyon, is where he's from, and obviously Brian Brickhouse was a teammate of Jameson. So, while I was working out down there in the off season, I got to kind of hear the rundown of the Royals organization from Brian Brickhouse with the year that he had been there. So. Um, other than that, I didn't really know much. Yeah. Well, you started off in 2012 between Wilmington and Kane County. You struck out 132 and 134. I love these strikeouts, if you can't tell. And uh, <laughs> had a 3.38 ERA. So that first summer, Kane County, Wilmington. What sticks out about that year? Um, just getting acclimated with the Royals system. Um, meeting all the new guys. Walking into a new clubhouse is definitely a, uh, a surreal experience, not knowing really anybody. Um, but I made a lot of good friends on those two teams that I still talk to to this day. Um, yeah, going to pitching in King County is awesome. It's a great place to play. Um, and then obviously Wilmington's a great pitcher's park. Yeah. Um, so those, those two years stick out pretty, or those, that year actually sticks out pretty well. Uh, it was a great year for me. I'm kind of bummed I never got to see Kane County. That was, that was what, two years, I guess, they were there? Three, maybe it was a three, two or three years. But was, it was a pretty nice place to play when you were there? Yeah, being right outside of Chicago is really nice. Yeah. Um, There's a little suburb of Chicago, so we were close enough if we wanted to go in and town on the off day and check out what Chicago had to offer. Or, But it was, a, uh, it was a nice field as well. So 2013 was a bittersweet year. I mean, there were some good parts. So, I mean, the end of the season ended up bad. Uh, you know, during the season, 27 games at Northwest Arkansas. Uh, before we talk about the offseason, the awesome moment that year, obviously, was June 27th, 2013 against Midland. It was a no-hitter you threw, which was the first in Naturals history. So when you think back to that night, how special was it? And, uh, you know, what do you remember most about it when you sit here right now? Gosh. Um, yeah, it's probably one of the it is the best moment of my minor league career so far. Um, it was just one of those nights where everything was working. The catcher and I had a great game plan, and we stuck to it. And I could throw all four pitches for strikes whenever I needed to. And there were some awesome defensive plays behind me. I remember Chesler, this guy tried to bunt in like the sixth inning, and Chesler was playing third, and he came in, comes in bare hands it, horizontally throws the guy out at first. He's laid out. Um, huh. It was an unbelievable play. Like uh, anytime you see a no hitter or a perfect game, there's always great defense behind the pitcher. So um, yeah, it, it still sticks out in my mind as one of the greatest memories ever that I have as a baseball player. Yeah, talking about Chesler, man. I mean, he's always been pretty good defensively, but what he must put in some insane hard work from the time I saw him, on, you know, back in 2013 to today. He's like just exceptional at defensively at third base. You know, what a tribute to working hard, right? Yeah, he's a he's somebody that goes about his business the right way every day. Um, I loved watching Chesler get to the big leagues last year and uh, seeing his success now. It uh, he's a guy that's always been hungry and got the taste of the big leagues and. Once he got the taste, he never wanted to look back. Yeah. Who who was the catcher for that, by the way, for you? Juan Gratterall. Okay. All right. 
Angels now. Yeah, good old Juan. Yeah, he was here for a long time. Um, so at, at what point that night you always see like like one of my favorite baseball movies of all time is For Love of the Game when he's throwing the per, you know the perfect game and he doesn't realize it till the ninth inning. I mean, you know, you got the whole cliche. W- was was it kind of like that? Did you really not know what was going on until a certain point? Was, you know, when did you f- kind of like think to yourself, "Wow, I've got a no no going." Once Chesler made that play in the sixth inning, I looked up and saw the board. I was like, oh, man, that could have been the first hit. Huh. Um, kind of started setting in. Seventh inning, in the dugout, you realize nobody's starting to talk to you or do anything. They're kind of just leaving you alone. Eighth inning rolls around, same way. Nobody's really talking to you. And then that game we rolled out for the ninth inning as a team, and we put up like eight runs in the ninth inning, so it was the longest inning ever. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, somebody come talk to me. Like, I'm not sitting here for 45 minutes just thinking about what can go right and what can go wrong. So I got up and started talking to guys, and they're like, what are you doing, man? I'm like, hey, I'm the kind of person that can't sit still for a long time, long period of time, so I had to get up and initiate conversations because nobody was going to initiate them with me. Yeah, that brings me to two questions follow-up there. Why is it that guys just leave the starting pitch? Doesn't that make it more awkward and more nerve-wracking for you if no one, if they're making it obvious, right? Yeah, I'm the kind of guy that wants to talk to people. I'm always floating around the dugout talking to different people, talking to the pitching coach, talking to the hitting coach about nothing, just initiating conversation. So when that happened, I was like, no, there's no way I'm going to get up and talk to somebody. And then the other thing is, you know, when you're when you're your team scoring you, you know, six seven runs, and it's a forty minute half inning or thirty minute. I always wonder, does that if you're kind of like in the groove, like let's say it's a fifth or sixth inning when that happens, does that take anything out of you as a starter? Does it make you like not be able to go as long in the game? Do you feel like you're going to go less because of that? Like the sitting out that long, does it really have an effect or not really? Uh, no, I don't really see it having an effect as long as you. I mean, for me. Every inning, I stretch and do that kind of stuff in the dugout between innings, so keeping my body loose and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I don't really think it has that that big of an effect on uh, me personally. But I don't know; I can't speak for other guys. But um, I always love seeing runs put up. It makes me get, get a little more comfortable and get a little breathing room. Yep, just pound that zone. Um, so, you know, after that season then, obviously, the, the Tommy John surgery happened, which was a major bummer for everybody involved. Uh, at what point did your elbow kind of start barking? Yet? You know, was that like something that was bothering you for a good part of that year? Was it something at the last second? Was there a moment it happened? Like, you know, when did that kind of go wrong and happen? Uh, it was, uh, I definitely felt something in spring training. Um, it wasn't initially, like, pop like everybody says they feel. It was just something that my elbow was trying to, started gradually hurting throughout the season. Um, starting the season in the bullpen that year really uh, kind of masked it so I could throw one inning at a time and be down for a couple days, so I gave it time to rest. But once I started starting and getting my pitches up, it just became too much. Um, Man. It was starting to realize, like, noticing normal recoveries, like, two days after a start, and it was getting to, like, be the fourth and fifth day. Like, I was going into starts not even feeling good at all. So I finally said something and unfortunately it was Tommy John but um, going through that rehab experience and that kind of thing only makes you stronger as a baseball player Uh, you're working out every muscle in your body at all times uh, and definitely helps you with the mental side of it Uh, being lonely and doing all that kind of thing on your own for 11 months isn't really ideal so you got to figure out ways to pass the time and 
So yeah, it definitely makes you stronger mentally for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that that rehab because you all. I mean, I know it can't be. I mean, it's got to be horrible. It's got to be. You know, you're, you're getting what you love taken away from you, and you've worked so hard, and then you're having to, in a way, like retrain muscles and retrain some of your body, and then you're wondering, man, you know, are they going to not take me serious now? Is my time passed? Like, what did you do to pass time during that rehab? You know, I'm sure there were some dark times. You know, how'd you kind of get through that, and and you know, what that teach you overall? Uh. You learn a lot about yourself in those in those situations. Um, for me, having a few other guys there going through the same process was uh, a lot easier on me. Uh, if it was just me down there, which never would happen, but um, if it's just you down there, it's, it, it gets dark at times. Um, like you said, think if uh, your time's passed. And the hardest part for me was watching everybody else play while I got to sit out. Yeah. They were chasing their dreams still while I was trying to get my arm right, not knowing if it would ever come back the, the way it was before. Yeah. Yeah. I bet uh, I bet surprise Arizona gets kind of boring that time of year, too, when everyone's gone, right? Most people are gone. Yeah. Boring and hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so 2014, then, you know, Wilmington, Idaho Falls, you threw 30 and two-thirds. You know, how gratifying was it to get back out there? I'm sure at that point you weren't even concerned about results. It was just, you know, get your arm back and be back out there, and you were elated, I'm sure, right? Yeah, that was uh, getting back for me. Um, it's one of those things you can't really put into words, but once you get into the, uh, once you get up back on the mound again, you actually feel some sense of gratification that what you just went through for that past 10, 10 11 months was completely worth all the pain and agony and mental grind. Now, how about last year? You mentioned the, the what was the injury exactly last year? I mean, what happened last year? Yeah, I came to spring training and did my first live BP, getting ready for the year. I tore my lat muscle. Oh, okay. Okay, that's I right. Had to deal with another four months of rehab for that. Jeez. Well, you made it back with surprise Idaho Falls, Wilmington, Northwest Arkansas. One cool thing is you got to uh, get the win in Game Three of the Texas League Semifinals. You guys beat the Travs. You know, was that pretty cool pitching in the playoffs? Yeah, pitching in the playoffs is a great experience. Um, everything that you kind of work towards for the whole year goes out the window, and it's just about winning a game now, making pitches when you need to, and doing that kind of thing. So you're you're not ultimately pitching for the you're pitching for your team at that point instead of kind of just going out there and I mean the, the season's a long season so you always want to you always want to get the win but there's definitely you're not going to win 30 games a year so yeah. um, pitching in the playoffs is, is an experience like none other um, it's basically making making pitches when you need to and hoping hoping your team puts up more runs than they do. Now you've uh, you've played with a lot of guys in the Royal system obviously and we've mentioned several of them there in Omaha. Is there a guy or two under the radar that, that doesn't get talked about enough? I mean when I say that is there anybody you've played with that you're like, "Man, this guy's really good. He doesn't get enough attention." Is there anybody we should keep our eyes on maybe that doesn't get necessarily the top 10 love that they should? Um yeah, there's a lot of guys. I mean, there's a guy that like I mentioned, Brian Brickhouse, I've seen him when he's healthy be one of the best pitchers I've ever watched pitch. Um, he's actually healthy now, so he should be going to an affiliate pretty soon. Um, he's a definitely a, a power pitcher, 95, 97 mile an hour sinkers. 
uh, something impressive to watch. If you haven't watched it, you need to try to. Um, yeah. Then, as far as position player-wise, um, he's starting to make a name for himself now, moving to Arkansas. But I got the chance to play with Ryan O'Hearn when uh, he was in Idaho. Yeah. Um, he, he's going to be something special. Talk about hitting the cover off the ball, man. That guy just hits. <laughs> all he does is hit, right? <laughs> Everywhere. Yeah. He's a great hitter. Um, definitely has a great approach as well. And it seems like even the outs that he makes are hard outs, loud outs. Yeah, I'm sure that's a guy you don't like seeing step into batter's box as an opposing pitcher. So, um, well, you know, last four or five things here for you. You, you know, you've played everywhere, all the leagues. It seems like you know, from Sally, New York, Penn. You know, you've played literally. You probably have played in like I bet 60 percent of the minor league different leagues. I would think. But uh, since you've been on both coasts, everywhere, I want you to tell me what are your two or three favorite visiting parks that you've ever played in. So not counting, you know, throw out the, the home teams. So I'm just saying places you visited but never played for. You know, what are your favorite parks when you think back to all? the places you've been uh in the texas league i really like tulsa tulsa is a great place um it's a downtown stadium i'm a big fan of like downtown stadiums with like skylines in the background and that kind of stuff yeah yeah um tulsa definitely has one of those and it's a great playing surface uh we just got back from memphis memphis is a great great park um and probably I'd have to go with Springfield. Springfield in the Texas League is really nice as well. Yeah, are, are most of those parks like in rookie ball about the same? Are they all pretty much just kind of old and not great lighting and just kind of what they are? Yeah, yeah. That's when they say it's the the dog days of the minor leagues. That's what they're talking about. Yeah, um, playing and going to stadiums where they get two hundred fifty to five hundred fans a game, and the stadiums all look the same and. Clubhouses are brutal and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, you definitely get rewarded as you move up through the minor leagues with, as far as facilities and the way clubhouses are and just the people that you get to be around when you're when you're playing. The spreads, too, I'm sure, <laughs> get better. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what's the worst travel experience you've ever had with you know, a horrible hotel or a horrible bus or missed flight? You know, what's the worst minor league travel experience? When I was in Kane County, we had to play Beloit, and that's in, gosh, I don't even know where it is, Minnesota or Wisconsin or Wisconsin, yeah, I think it's Wisconsin. And it's usually a commuter for us, but we had a day game followed by an early morning 10 a.m. game, or a night game followed by a 10 a.m. game. Ooh. And the hotel that we had to stay in was one of the nastiest, grossest hotels I've ever been to in my life. (laughs) Uh. There's a roadway in that you had an actual like key to get in the door with. <laughs> they didn't, didn't even have the key cards. <laughs> yeah, no key cards. So you had an actual like big brass key that you had to open your door with. And I remember, I remember laying in the bed with my next to my roommate, which was Scott Alexander at the time, thinking like, "Man, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> what is it? What is going on right now?" <laughs> brass key that's the best story oh god uh okay now what, what what do you do for fun away from the field when you're not playing you know you got a day off or you're just chilling after a game what do you like to do uh day off i usually try to spend my time golfing and uh doing the things that i need to do for uh 
to get myself ready to pitch the next day. Um, but yeah, definitely golf is one of my uh, favorite things to do while uh, I have an off day. What do you feel like you'd be doing, you know, if you would have gone to college and majored in something? What do you think you'd be doing as a fallback career, you know, for 15 years from now? Uh, I've always wanted to kind of be in baseball somehow, whether that's a coach or a front office guy or um, scout. But uh, if I would have gone to college and baseball had never worked out, I've always kind of saw myself going into the player representation uh, as an agent or something like that, knowing the game and that kind of stuff. Very cool, very cool. That'd be good. Well, last thing for you, man, I guess, in summary, is what would you like to say uh, to all the Royals fans listening right now? Uh, just that uh, hopefully you can see me here uh, sometime in 2016. Uh, if not, hopefully next year in 2017. But uh, I look forward to making an impact somehow on the, uh, the Royals roster, uh, getting to Kansas City and getting to play in front of the great fan base that they have. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I was telling you off the air, I, I interview dozens and dozens and dozens of guys, and you're always brought up as one of the more popular teammates. So, you know, I know you're well-liked by your peers, and I know that uh, the organization is definitely excited about where you're at, man. And, and, you know, seriously, strength to you, nothing but good luck. Like, you know, just keep you healthy here, and hopefully we'll see you up here, uh, like you said, at some point this year or, or at the latest next year. But, you know, we're enjoying following you, and we really are pulling for you, one of the good guys. And, and uh, you know, keep up the good work, man, and, and stay in touch. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, take care. Thanks for your time.